today is Easter Sunday. It's the day that we remember um, Jesus and his sacrifice for us and how that brings us our forgiveness, yet also that we have new life in his name because he didn't stay dead. On the third day, he rose again. And so today, believe it or not, is we remember the most pivotal, most important day in all of history, recorded or otherwise. Because everything about our life, whether we recognize it or not, whether we choose to see it or not, is all hinged on this day and this moment. Now, there may be some reasons where it, you know, there's some funny business going on a couple thousand years ago with the Roman Empire and all that. I'm not here to talk about that today right now. We can talk about that another time. But everything hinges on today because Jesus is alive. We believe that here at this church. And so today we're celebrating that. You can go to the next slide there, Richard. The title for today's message is Hope is Alive. And our passage that we're going to look at today is from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 24, verses 1 through 12. And so the big idea that we're going to look at today as a summary capstone idea is that Jesus raised to life brings hope to the lost, broken, and hurting. Jesus raised to life brings hope to the lost, broken, and hurting. And so We've been in a series for a while now um, called Jesus People. That ended last week. Um, and so we're kind of parachute dropping into the end of the gospel narrative, if you will. Uh, we haven't been in Luke's gospel for some time, so if this is your first time with us or if you're uh, you know, a guest with us again, you're in luck. We ha- you, you didn't miss anything. <laughs> in other words. And so I just want to kind of bring us up to speed because some of us, you know, uh, we don't know beyond just the fact that we have this holiday and the fact that the preacher man up front says that this is the most important day and people say he is risen. He is risen indeed, right? You know, people say all this stuff, but sometimes it gets confusing because nobody ever stops to explain it, Right? And so I want to just take a brief moment and catch us up to this moment. I'm not going to go into all the details, otherwise we'd be here all day. Um, And I might make you fall asleep like when I tried to read uh, starting from the Thursday of Holy Week uh, with my kids, and my kids fell asleep like two chapters in, and I'm like, Jesus hasn't even died yet. (laughs) So (laughs) come on. (laughs) But that's okay. So anyway, to catch us up, So, in the Hebrew Scriptures, we learn about a God who created everything, and that He created everything perfect, whole, and complete, just as it was supposed to be, and it didn't take long before things went wrong. And so, we learn about Adam and Eve, and how they they were the proto-humans, if you will, Um, and we look to them, and what they chose to do in breaking the only rule they had at the time, don't eat from a certain tree, and then that caused sin 
what we know as sin to enter the world. And since that point, uh, many people call it many different things. In philosophy, it's called the human condition. But essentially, that everything is broken. And that there's, we want to be able to fix it. We want there to be some kind of a bringing back together. But everyone and everything is broken in some way. And so, so that's way beginning, okay? So then we also learn in the Old Testament that God chose a people out of all the nations in the, in the, in the world at the time. He chose to start with one family. The father was named Abraham. Uh, he was super old, and uh, you can read more about it uh, or learn more about it if you come to the Genesis class. Shameless plug there. Um, and so, uh, but there was a guy named Abraham, and he had a wife, and he eventually had uh, a son, uh, two sons, actually, whole story around that. But anyway, he chose this family, and this family eventually grew into a big people group known as the Hebrews or the Israelites, because one of the fathers up to that point, his name was Israel. And so we have the Israelites, and Israelites were in slavage, uh, slavage, bondage, slavery, fill in the word there, um, in Egypt for 400 plus years. And they were crying out to God because everything was broken. Nothing was going right. They were God's chosen people, and yet it didn't feel that way because they were slaves. In fact, interestingly enough, they're the only nation in the whole world whose story starts with we were slaves. Uh, you know, and that, that's a part, so a part of their story. But God chose to rescue them. He decided he was going to send somebody to rescue them. And that's uh, the man named Moses. He was born for that time and, and that, that moment. And eventually, God raised him up to go and deliver the Hebrew slaves out of, out of Egypt and into the land that he had promised to Abraham many, many years before that point. But things didn't stay good once they reached the promised land. Um, it was supposed to be this great, grand experience, the fulfillment of promise. Things didn't go quite right, uh, as most things with humanity goes. And as a result, um, we see in the whole of what we call the Old Testament scriptures, uh, the first two-thirds of the Bible, if you will, that we get to see just right there on display how we as people really screw things up at times. And yet, that isn't the end of the story. That God doesn't just leave it broken. He doesn't just leave it screwed up. He provides a way to bring freedom, to bring healing to that situation. And so we see that time and time again with the people of Israel. And then even in their rebellion, God would send these guys to go and preach to the people to call them to turn away from their idolatry, from these other gods and from their sin, and start to walk in God's ways and to pursue their God, the God of promise. And how it would go is he said, there's going to come a point where I'm going to send somebody called the deliverer, the deliverer, not just a deliverer, but the deliverer, and he is going to save 
the people. He is going to set all things to right. Now I'm summarizing, if you will, for those of you who are waiting for chapter and verse. Now, but time goes on and the deliverer doesn't arrive. And so eventually where we get the, the concluding third of the Bible is a all focused around one man who we believe was that promised deliverer. Jesus, who was born in Bethlehem, uh, grew up in Egypt a little bit, but made his home in, in a town called Nazareth, which in effect was like living in the sticks, if you will. And so uh, he was a country boy, but he was a carpenter and by trade, and that's because uh, his, um, his father, stepfather, uh, Joseph, was a carpenter, and so he learned that trade, and he, he provided for uh, his mom that way. But that wasn't the end of the story. Then we get to see how in the Gospels, Jesus, at the age of around 30, um, he started what we might call his public ministry, where he stopped doing the carpentry work officially, and he started doing what he had been born to do, what he had come to do, which was to save the people. And so he didn't just do this on his own. He wasn't just a lone ranger doing, you know, uh, this kind of work on his own. He decided to call people to follow him, which you know, within their educational system, it was like apprenticeship. And so he, instead of somebody coming to him and saying, Jesus, I want to apprentice under you, he went and called them and said, hey, I see you, come follow me. And they did. And he spent about three years living with them, camping out, eating, drinking, going hungry, but also doing incredible, miraculous, awesome things, which made people wonder, could this be the guy? Could this be the one? Could this be this promised Messiah, is the term that the Jews used? Could this be the guy that was going to set everything right? Is this the one? Well, as the story goes, uh, which we left off last week, that didn't make the religious leaders very happy. Uh, they kind of liked their comfort of the box that they had put God into and the way they functioned within the world and everything. And so Jesus was touching their box. He was touching their cheese, if you will. Um, he was, you know, he was doing, like, he was messing with things that ought not to be messed with. Um, and this was making some religious leaders pretty mad. And so there comes a point where um, in the final week of uh, Jesus' life here on this earth. It was the Passover celebration, which, if you will, it goes all the way back to when God saved the people out of Egypt. It's a reminder to them year in and year out that they were slaves in Egypt, and yet God provided a rescue for them. And so, it was during that week, big festival, everybody's in town, like roadie days times a million, like just so many people crammed into town. And so then, uh, as a good teacher would do, Jesus led his disciples, his, his students, in this Last Supper meal, or the Passover meal. 
And that Passover meal, it, it, we call it the Last Supper, but that's, that's what they were celebrating at that time. That's why they had bread, they had wine. And Jesus, he, he gave some perspective on what he wanted to do and what those elements were supposed to represent going forward. But that's not the end of the story. We're, we're coming to it. We're coming to our day here right now. So what happened on Thursday night, though, is that Jesus got arrested. Uh, one of his disciples betrayed him. And uh, on all, you know, through the night and then all day Friday, Jesus kind of went through the ringer. Um, that's an understatement. And uh, ended up being executed uh, for blasphemy was, I think, the official thing. And the people wanted, uh, the religious leaders kind of stirred up the pod and said, crucify him, crucify him. And that was the worst form of execution you could have had at that time. And so Jesus died on Friday. And uh, his disciples were crushed because they had been following this guy that they thought, hey, I've seen some far out things that I never thought I would ever see. And I was really, really hoping that he would be the one. Their hopes were crushed. Their, their symbol of hope, dead on a cross. And so you have uh, some of the disciples, the people who are seeking after, you know, God and his kingdom, they came and they got the body and they buried him in a tomb. And they saw Jesus go into the tomb, and the tomb was sealed with, with a super heavy rock that not many people could just roll out of the way on their own. They needed a team of people to roll it into place. And so Jesus was dead. But like I said before, and like you are here to celebrate this morning or hear about this morning, Jesus didn't stay dead. And we're going to read about, uh, in just a moment, who got to see it first, or who got to discover it. We're going to see kind of what they were told and what that means for you and I today, because Jesus raised to life brings hope to the lost, broken, and hurting. So if you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Luke chapter 24, Luke 24, beginning in verse 1. If you don't have a Bible, that's okay. Uh, you can follow along on the screen as well. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly, two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee, the son of man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners be crucified and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the others. 
It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles, but they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away wondering to himself what had happened. Hope is alive. Hope was alive back then, and it's alive today. And so the first thing I see in our passage is what was expected was no longer the reality. If we had read just a paragraph before that point, uh, all the women who are talked about in our passage, they were there at the tomb when Jesus was put in the tomb. It was, they were at the graveside, if you will. Which means they literally saw Jesus' body dead, lifeless, in the tomb. And so that night they go and they prepare some spices for the embalming process and everything and, uh, that they were going to do. Uh, but it was, it was Friday night, and so they had to wait all through the Sabbath day on Saturday to wait for, uh, you know, to observe that before they could come and minister to the body. And so that's why first thing, Sunday morning, they get up and they have their spices all ready. And these devoted women who were crushed, who had seen their hope dead on a cross, dead in a tomb, they went expecting to see a lifeless body. They expected to see a dead Jesus. But where was it? Where was the body? According to the witness of the women, it wasn't there. They didn't see, remember, I'm not, I, I know I'm belaboring the point, but they saw Jesus put there. They saw him wrapped up and, you know, put in place. And they were expecting to see him because bo dead bodies don't just move. <laughs> you know, they just don't. And so they expected a certain something. And that was no longer the reality. And that led them to do something. They wondered. I love that word, wonder. Angie and I were arguing over the word wonder yesterday um, because married couples do that sometimes. Uh, <clears throat> but if you were to look at that word in its original Greek, it means to be at a loss, where it's like you, you get up to this certain point, there's some kind of an expectation, and then you're kind of left what do I do? What, I don't know what's happening because it should be there. That doesn't just happen. Uh, you know, what, what could have happened? And so they were at a loss. They wondered. And so in connection with the idea of hope being alive, even at this early stage, I would submit to you that there is a spark of maybe not quite hope but where hope is there because wonder is hope in the process. Where they happen upon it, it's there, 
they have to deal with this observation now. And they wondered. And so this makes me think of a puzzle. How many of you like puzzles? Okay. I like puzzles too. I just never take the time to do them <laughs> because they take forever, right? Now, uh, how many of you, so if you get like the, the three, 500 or, you know, a thousand piece, do you sit there and count the pieces ahead of time? Okay, you're wise. I would like to be that person now because like, especially with this illustration, I'm like, I don't trust the manufacturers to do what they're supposed to do and put all the pieces in there. There's going to be. But so when you're doing a puzzle, sometimes, or maybe if, if Legos are your thing, because Legos are like a puzzle too because you're putting it together. You put the puzzle all together. You think you have all the pieces, and then there's that one piece that has somehow grown legs and is not there anymore. You're at a loss of what to do. You've just spent all this time. What do you do when there's that missing puzzle piece? <laughs> That's fair. Let them deal with it, right? But so uh, for many of us, we would go on the search throughout our house to go and do that thing. But uh, you know, this isn't really about a puzzle. Uh, I'm trying to use it as a, a correlation between the experience of these women and, you know, our experience of puzzles because that's fun and trivial. Um, but they were at a loss and reality was shattered in a way. And even in that moment, I would submit to you that Jesus raised to life brings hope to the lost, broken, and hurting because here were these women who society had kind of put in their place. They said, women, you only have this certain box that you can operate within. And Jesus, he had invited these women, and the women had, you know, been following Jesus, had been partnering with Jesus, raising money for the ministry any way that they could, and they decided, like, they bought into what Jesus was saying, what Jesus was doing, and that was a really hopeful place that maybe in God's kingdom there weren't as many hard lines and, you know, distinctions between things so that it didn't really matter if you were a man or a woman, but you were equal in the family of God. And so these women, they were crushed, not just because their savior or, you know, this person that they thought was their savior was dead, but because, man, all their expectations that they had been building up over these years of, you know, being around this movement that Jesus was, uh, you know, was forming around Jesus, it was gone. And so they, they needed hope. And then, thankfully, we, we don't know how long it took between the discovery and whatever conversation happened. And then two men showed up in clothes gleaming light lightning. And uh, other gospel writers mentioned that it's an angel or two angels. Um, that's not really important, those finer details of that. The fact were they were these, these beings there who were there to deliver a message to the women who had happened upon this scene. And so, let's read on. So, uh, 
the next thing I see in our passage is that remembering what God said brings clarity in the unknown. Um, so the angels, they, they essentially, uh, they ask a question and then they make a statement. They say, why do you look for the living among the dead? Well, they had seen him be dead, so I don't think they were looking for him to be living. But, but they, they say that, you know, rhetorical question, and then they make the statement, he is not here, he is risen, and then they say, remember. I love that word, remember, because I, I am terrible at remembering things. Um, remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. That's a reference to Luke chapter 9, verse 22. Um, but they, in this confusion, in this wonderment, they need some clarity. They need some definition of why the puzzle piece is not there in this constructed reality of like what they knew to be true. Why isn't Jesus where he's supposed to be? Um, we didn't really like that he was there, but at least he was there, and we knew that he was there, and he's not there, so I need somebody to spell this out, and so they have two people spell it out, and it's because Jesus had risen, and uh, the writer Luke, who had compiled all these witness accounts together to tell the story of Jesus, he's, uh, some background on Luke, he's uh, a Greek doctor. And so he was like interested in facts. Let's get the facts straight. And so he's declaring, he's writing down, he is risen because he believes it to be a fact. All of recorded history, remember, hinged on this moment. It's an undeniable fact that everything in our life is now centered around this moment. We need clarity in this unknown. And so, the act of remembering is really hard sometimes, especially when we're consumed with grief and we're overcome with all kinds of feelings and thoughts that creep in because it's hard to remember in that time because our mind and even at times like our vision gets clouded because we can't even see straight almost, because we're so overcome. And these women, they were in wonderment. Some translations say that they were puzzled. Um, essentially, they were confused. Why is this happening? Angels speak truth into it and bring clarity. I'm not going to unpack the clarity so much other than to say, you know, remembering what God said, how do we do that? Well, for them, they had an angel literally say, Remember when Jesus said that this was going to happen? Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, now it's happened. And so um, this makes me think of like a memo recorder. How many of you still use one or on your phone? Maybe. Sometimes I do, sometimes I don't. Um, I was always impressed with this as a kid because I'm, like I said, I have a terrible memory at times. And the thing about the memo recorder is when you press record, and then you, you rewind it and you press the playback, you get to hear what was said, good, bad, and otherwise. 
Uh, like I think yesterday, my kids were recording something in the back seat, and I didn't know they were recording. And so I said some random thing. It wasn't bad, but it was like, <laughs> but I was just like, oh, they were just recording that moment. Interesting, cool. But that clarity in the unknown, that act of remembrance, something that it does is it helps to stir that hope a little more, maybe fanning that spark of hope into flame a little bit more. Because if Jesus raised to life brings hope to the lost, broken, and hurting, and these women are in this place of confusion, they need clarity, and the angels are inviting them, they're even commanding them, remember, remember, remember. And so the important thing for you and I to do in our moments when we are at a loss of life, it doesn't have to be necessarily some spiritual thing. It could be you being at a loss because you dropped the bolt when you're working on your car. You're like, Jesus, what do I do? <laughs> you know, uh, it could be, you know, uh, your favorite uh, sports team just lost. And, you know, I don't promote gambling, but it's like maybe you had some money on the line or something. You're like, Lord, what do I do? And so what's important in those moments and others like them, and one of the reasons I would submit to you that it's good to do this, it's important to read this book not just because it's a good book, although I think it is. It's because I really believe this is God's word written down for you and for me so we can remember what Jesus said, what the Lord said to his people all those years ago, and so that that can have meaning for our life today because there are a lot of unknowns in this world. Even today, I'm looking around the room, and I have a connection with almost every single one of you. And I know that there are unknowns in your life that are happening, and some clarity would be super nice right about now, right? Well, maybe not like explicitly written down in absolute detail, but there is hope to be found in this book, and there's hope to be found in remembering today that Jesus, he brings new life to dead places. And so, Jesus raised to life brings hope to the lost, broken, and hurting. Let's go to the final slide. So the third thing I see in our passage is that truth revealed plants the seed of hope. So the women, it says that they remembered. And I love that. But then they didn't just remember then they go to the apostles, the guys who were like, they were the leaders of the group, and they share this news. Guys, you won't believe what happened. And they, were, they would have been right if they had said it exactly like that. They didn't believe them. Now, there might be a whole host of reasons why they decided not to believe the women whether that's a social thing, whether that's just, you know, a personal emotional thing that was going on where it's like, gosh, Mary, I know that you're super hopeful 
And I know that, like, I wish Jesus was alive too, but the angels didn't show up to me, did they? No. So, you know, like, they could have had all this attitude or, like, I'm imagining into this situation, but because all we hear is that they, they basically told them, this is nonsense. You're not thinking right. He's dead. Remember, we saw him die. He's dead. But I love, there's two, two, a couple of things about this portion. The Lord trusted the first witness about the resurrection to women. Now, there's like the first evangelists, if you will, the first people to share the good news of the gospel that Jesus is alive were women. And so women, today, I just want to say, Jesus wants to you to know that you have a story of how his story has impacted your life, how the reality of the resurrection has impacted you. And we need to hear those stories. The church needs you, just like it needs men. And the women, they, they cared about the guys. They weren't like, ha-ha, we got this information. We're on this high horse. No, they went to the guys because they knew the guys had just as much of a buy-in to this relationship with Jesus, if not more so, as they did. And the women, they cared so much about the men that they were like, guys, you gotta know Jesus is alive. And they cast it off and said, nah, that's nonsense. That's foolishness. You don't just come back from being crucified. You saw how in bad shape his body was. But the second thing is I love Peter because Peter, I love Peter. Sometimes I get frustrated at Peter because he's sometimes a silly guy, kind of foolish, kind of hot-headed. But what I love about Peter is the faith. Whew. The hope that he had because like he had denied Jesus, that's part of the story too, where he had denied Jesus three times to other people. And so he's got all that guilt on top of the fact that his saviors just died, his, his teacher, his, his friend. Jesus had died, and Peter books it to the tomb because he needed that hope too. <sighs> and then Peter's response was to wonder. And so today, I use this illustration of like planting and seeds, right? Because when you plant a seed, you're not necessarily expecting it to be like this fully mature plant, right? But you plant the seed. The women, they were just being faithful to share this witness. In some of the, the gospel accounts, it says, what, you know, they say, go tell Peter, <laughs> you know, but um, it's this, this spark, this, this seed that's planted for them and this hope that eventually, if we were to read on, it grows into a full-fledged reality of knowing Jesus is alive. And so this truth revealed to the women, they share it. 
and they, they plant the seed of hope with the guys, and even the guys who, who waved it off as nonsense, eventually they come around because they actually got to see for themselves and experience it for themselves. And even the witness of somebody like Peter, where Peter goes in, and it's like he was expecting Jesus to be dead, to be there, but he wasn't. And so Jesus raised to life brings hope to the lost, broken, and hurting. For you and I today, as we have been on this journey of life, whether that's on our own or together, in what ways have you felt lost? In what ways have you felt maybe a breaking? Or maybe that you, you know, life keeps, you know, heaping more on you, more on you, more on you, and then you're kind of almost at that breaking point, or maybe you've broken. Or maybe you're going throughout this life, and different things are hurting you. And then you cry out to God, and you're like, God, what? I don't understand this. I'm really confused. I thought I was in one direction, but now I'm in this place and I'm kind of hopeless right now. And I hear this guy up front telling me about this, this hope. I kind of need hope right now. I can't necessarily speak into all the situations or you know, say that it's going to be like some rubber stamp, fix-all kind of thing. But what I do know is that the hope of Easter, the hope of the resurrection that Jesus is alive. Something that was impossible was now made possible. And that now there's this new reality that we get to interact with and live within and receive for ourselves in relation to God because Jesus is alive, because that hope that we so desperately need, that hope, I'm hoping for you and for me, is alive today. Let's pray.